0: Please remain standing while we read the scripture for this morning. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Father, we come this morning and we ask that you would Open these words, open your heart to us, speak, that we would be given life, abundant life eternal. May your word have its way in our hearts this day, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So Brian forgot his Bible up here. That leads right into what I was going to say. I have been, pun intended, reminded lately of how forgetful I am. Uh, I'm starting to have those moments where I walk into a room and I forget why I came there. Yeah, I see some heads nodding. Uh, I was uh, downstairs in my basement uh, the last couple of days, unpacking uh, the boxes from our moves, and, and I was in the, the workshop area, you know, sort of some of the last things to get unpacked. So I was unpacking all my old friends and tools. I was having conversations with pliers and, and talking to saws, and, and so happy to see. It was like a reunion. It was like Christmas in my basement. But I noticed something. I noticed that I have like four pairs of wire cutters, and, and I have like three levels, and, and I have two of these and four of those, and, and I began to realize that the reason I have so many of these in multiples is because I forget what I have, can't find it, and then go out and buy another one, only to find out later I already have it. Uh, the other morning, I made a cup of coffee through the K-cup in the Keurig, came back to it, and it was just water. I forgot to put the K-cup in. Uh, I went to buy some lights the other day for a chandelier we had installed, and and I thought, you know, I don't need to take the box with me to go, and I know what bulbs we need. I get home, and instead of the warm white light, the yellow light, the the nice, I I had like this bright blue flash of, like when I turned that chandelier on, the room lit up uh, like a Christmas tree, and I thought maybe I did forget what kind of light bulbs to get. We are forgetful by nature. Some of it is humorous, uh, but some of it is not. Some of it's accidental, uh, but some of it's selective, and it's due to negligence. And, And our passage this morning starts with those words. This is Solomon speaking to his son, and he says, My son, don't forget my teaching. And we might think, well, that just means sort of uh, you need to learn these things, right? We, we need to, to hear what uh, the, the preacher says this morning. We need to read the scriptures, and, and we just need to keep those things in our minds cognitively, right? If, if I could just expand the brain bandwidth, I would be fine. I could, I could do this. But the next phrase in the passage tells us why we can't and, and why forgetfulness is a bigger thing than just a problem of the head. But let your heart keep my commandments. You see, there's a forgetfulness that is of the mind, but then there's a forgetfulness that's far more serious, and it's a forgetfulness of the heart. It's not just a bad memory. It's, it's a bad heart. It's a failing heart. It's a a heart that forgets because it goes after the wrong things. Sinclair Ferguson uh, in his book on the Sermon on the Mount talks about how easy it is to forget God because we take lesser things and, and we make them bigger until they block out our view of who God is and what God is doing. I remember as a kid, we used to love to kind of squish people, my brother and I. We would look with one eye shut, and we would put our fingers and say, I'm squishing him, right? And, and, and I'm squishing her, and we would squish things. And we thought it was funny. And, and the point being, it takes a little thing, and it brings it right, and it's the only thing you're focusing on. And, and we do that with life. We take lesser things, not necessarily bad things, and we bring them so close to our hearts, and we hold so dearly, to these things, material, some of them, and others are, are not material things, things like reputation and comfort. They're, uh, they're things we pursue and we bring them so close that we forget God, that we, we don't have enough vision to see God because those other things are so big before us. The book of Proverbs, I just want to say a couple of things about just, just the book of Proverbs in general. The book of Proverbs is uh, a sort of an either-or um, statement. At least in this part, they are. In other words, you can either do this or that, but you can't do both. You, you can either trust God or you can lean on your own understanding. You, you can either be wise in your own eyes or trust in the Lord's wisdom and His strength. You can either honor God with your success and your wealth and your blessings, or you can hoard and keep things to yourself. You can't do both. This is sort of what Joshua would tell the people of God at the end of uh, Joshua chapter 24. Choose this day whom you'll serve. You, you can serve the gods of the nations or the true and living God. This is what Jesus would say when he would tell, talk about money and possessions and he would say, you can either serve God or You can serve mammon or money or things, but you can't do both. And and this teaching section of this father to this son is sort of either or oriented. And and it presents it this way. You can either do this or this. And then it gives us an encouragement. It says, and if you will do this, which the father really wants the son to do, if you will do this, here's a promise or, or, or here's a motivation or a reason why. Now maybe you've heard this said before that, that the book of Proverbs is general truths for life. Things that are generally true but not always true. And in, a part, in, in part that's true, but in part that's not really true. The book of Proverbs is filled with definite principles. You can either this or that. That's not something up for negotiation. You, you can either or, but the promises that get attached to those things are the usually true in life. What I mean by that is that, that um, the, the, the principle is a definite. Either this or that, the promise is a usual. Actually, even more than that, the promise is usual in this life, but it's definite in the life to come. In other words, you can honor God with your blessings in this life, or hoard them. And and if you will honor him, you will find that you have plenty. In fact, you have more than plenty. You have enough to give. And that's usually true in this life. Sometimes that's not true in this life. But usually it's true. But you know what? It is absolutely true in the life to come. And so that's sort of the structure. And these promises are summed up in verse 2. All of the promises that get attached to these five statements we're going to look at this morning are summed up in this idea of for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. What is that talking about? It's not talking about the the length of your life, that if you do these things, you're going to have a long life. Generally, I've checked and the length of days for everybody that I've checked so far is 24 hours. Nobody here that I know of has a day that is longer than anyone else's day. The length of days means something else. You have to kind of hunt around, but if you go and look, for example, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 20, listen to what it says there. It says, for he, God, is your life and length of days. And so I believe what the Psalman, or what the Proverbs writer here is saying to his son is this, that if you will live in this manner, you will have the presence of God. You will have the life with God. And you will have peace, the peace of God, as a part of that life. And I'm going to say one more thing before we, we jump in to these five points, and that is, this is not, I'll say this at the end again, we'll come back to this reality, but this is not a do-better sermon. Uh, the, the New Year's Sunday sermons are notorious for being do-better sermons. To try harder. Uh, to, to make new promises. To make resolutions. To, to recommit. Uh, to, to sort of fix this year what we didn't really get around to last year. Uh, and that's not what this is at all. This, th- these things that we're about to look at today are not so much the things that God wants us to do, but they're the things that He says that we are. These are the things that are true of His people. They're not so much goals for us to attain in this year and to, and to double down and, and try harder to do them. But, but rather, uh, they are the marks of a life that God has captured to Himself and is working in. They are the things described here. The things described here are only accomplished by the Father in the Son and through the Spirit for His people. So let's dive into them. The first is to submit your heart to God, verses 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. These phrases, the steadfast love and faithfulness of God, the Hesed love, the unfailing an undeserved love of God and his faithfulness to do what he says. is sort of a, a summary statement of, of who God is and what God does. The writer of Exodus said that God is a bounding in love and faithfulness. He is, it, it is who he is as his being. It, it is, um, it's not just what he does. And it also describes all of the things that he does do because of who he is. Uh, it's, um, it reminds me here where it says, do not forsake these things. Uh, that, that word means don't, don't find yourself having wandered away from them, having drifted away from them. Uh, a friend of mine would tell this story of a, an older gentleman and, and his wife, and they were in their 60s or 70s. They would drive in their truck an old pickup truck, and, and they were sitting in the truck one day at a light. They were behind another truck with a young couple in it, and the young couple were sitting like side by side, like she was squished way over next to him, and he had his arm around her, and they were sitting at the light. And she looked at her husband, and she said, oh, do you remember when we used to sit like that in the truck way back when? And he looked at her, and he said, I haven't moved. I didn't move. That, that's the idea of we forsake the Lord by moving away. He hasn't changed. He, he hasn't left us, but we have forsaken Him. We, we have forsaken who He is. We have forsaken His works. If, if we are distant from Him, it's not because He has walked away from us, His people, but we have walked away from Him. And so the commandment here, the the principle is we need to bind or we need to do things that are intentional to continue to put the grace of God, to continue to put His love and His faithfulness in front of us again and again and again, or we will forget. There's some really good practical how-tos here, right? Uh, it, It talks about binding them around your neck. You put the things around your neck that you value, that you want to have with you all the time. Um, there's echoes of the, the, the great passage in Deuteronomy 6 here, where it says that we are to, uh, the Shema, where we are to, to talk about these things to our children. We're to tie them to our doors. We are to write them, right, before ourselves. And those are good. Those aren't bad things. In other words, having a reading plan to read through the Bible this year is a good thing. It's a good thing. And it's a needful thing sometimes. But there's a better thing that's tucked away in here, a greater thing. And the greater thing is summed up in this phrase, write them on the tablet of your heart. It's one thing to read your reading plan through and check all the boxes at the end of the year and say, I read the Bible through. It's another thing to let the Bible read through you during the year. And to allow it to write upon your heart about the love and about the faithfulness of God, which we so easily drift away from. There are lots of ways that you can do that this year. And I would encourage us to aim for the bigger goal, not not of just knowing the Bible better, but of actually being changed by it more. Actually letting, not just abiding in God's Word, but God's Word abiding in us. The promise contained here that goes with that is that you'll have favor, good success. Favor and good success. Not, not success in a worldly sense, but rather um, that, that phrase favor is an interesting word. It means to have a prudence about one's life. In other words, to have a sense where you do the right things the right way, in the right timing, for the right reasons. That's a great summary of the idea of the word prudent or to be in favor, to to be a person who lives in a manner that is prudent, doing the right things the right way at the right time for the right reasons, to have a rightness in our lives before God. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, it would be, uh, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, and we're creatures who forsake, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think that's what it's saying here, don't forsake God for other things. Don't don't forsake him to go play in our mud puddles with our mud pies. But rather to ask God to give us right passions and a right heart. One that leans toward remembering and intentionally seeking after a greater understanding and knowledge of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. The second exhortation in these verses is to submit our ways to God. And it almost follows on the heels of the first. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. The The heart that is filled with an understanding of God's love and faithfulness is the heart that trusts Him. Or you could say the opposite. The heart that forgets about God's love and God's faithfulness will not trust him, but rather has to seek after something else to lean upon. Forgetting God, we trust ourselves. It's the natural bent. John Owen phrased it this way, the great folly of man in trials is leaning on his own understanding and counsels. And what is the result of this? Whenever in our trials we confront our own understanding, when we listen to our own reason, even though they appear to be good, the principle of living by faith is stifled. And we will in this way be led down by our own counsels. Or another uh, pastor, theologian of the past, Charles Bridge, he, he, called, he wrote a commentary on the book of Proverbs uh, that in his day was sort of a, a benchmark uh, for preachers and teachers. And he, he went and exposited this passage and says, what God calls us to hear is to have a childlike trust and to have an exclusive trust in the Lord and to have an exhaustive trust in all of our ways. I remember sitting in a meeting once. We had these annual planning retreats when we were on the mission field. And we would get away as a team to the mountains somewhere in Bulgaria, and we would be in a, 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 a sort of a remote place, uh, it was usually a beautiful place. And part of what we did was plan for the upcoming year and, and look at the year that had passed. And so uh, I remember sort of beginning to dread these meetings uh, a little bit uh, because they usually followed the same pattern. We would just get stuck in... in, in thinking through and all of the possibilities. And I remember one time we were all sitting around and brainstorming, but nothing. The wheels were just spinning and spinning, spinning. And I remember somebody uh, spoke up. I believe it was one of the the national pastors um, that was with us helping, actually. Um, And and he said, uh, we, we had decided to take a break from our planning and to just take some time to pray. And he jokingly said, he says, oh, it's come to that uh, it was sort of a, a short comment, but, but it was right to the point. It, it had come to that. We, we had actually begun to learn the lesson of coming to the end of our own understanding. And, and trusting in the Lord with all of these ways that lay before us. To learn to acknowledge Him. That's a loaded phrase. What does it mean to acknowledge Him? Well, it's far more than just knowing about Him. It carries the idea in the Hebrew of knowing by and through experience, of of trusting His person for our acceptance, leaning upon His righteousness for our justification, uh, to cling to His sacrifice for our pardon, to look to His fullness for our supply and to rest in His power for our protection. It means to make God our only hope. A.W. Towser talked about a, a pseudo-faith that was a faith that didn't acknowledge God. He said pseudo-faith always arranges for a way out just in case God fails. But real faith knows no way out and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any second way or any substitutes for true faith it is either god or a total collapse of acknowledging god is to have a, a an exhaustive trust in him too as the psalmist would write in psalm sixteen eighteen to set the lord before us always The promise here is that if we live in that manner, God makes our path straight. That doesn't mean that he makes it always easy and comfortable. I've heard that that kind of a statement made numerous times, that if if we do X, God will make our way comfortable and easy. And And sort of the implication of that is if your way is not easy and if your way is not comfortable then then you're something's wrong and you're not acknowledging God and that's uh, that's a hurtful way to go because uh, there are many people who trust the Lord in this manner and it does not go easy and comfortable for them i think Christ is the foremost example of that so what does it mean that he makes our path straight And then it dawned on me as I thought about this more and more. It means that naturally or normally speaking, they're not straight. Or you wouldn't need to make them straight. God calls His people to difficult things. He calls His people to walk through hard trials and tribulations. He promises them. He he doesn't say this might be the case. He tells us that it is through many such tribulations that we shall enter the kingdom of God. It's not a maybe if it will happen to any of us, it's when. And, and he says here that when that happens, he will make your path straight. Uh, the picture of the Red Sea and God's people at the Red Sea came to my mind. And I thought, you know, that's often how it is. Maybe that's where you are at this point in the new year. Uh, you feel like there's very few good choices in front of you with a work decision or, or something to do with family or and it could be any number of areas of our lives that we're looking to the Lord, and it seems like there's only two options, chariots or ocean. And God called his people to cross that sea, and he made the way straight for them. Uh, and, And I believe he does the same thing for us. Sometimes he calls us into difficult things. This 2023 will be a difficult year for some of us. We don't know what the trials will be yet. But we're told that if we trust in Him and not lean upon our own understanding, then He will make those ways straight or plain or clear. He'll bring clarity to them. Next, we submit our relationships to God. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I say that this has to do with submitting our relationships to God because the Apostle Paul picks up this phrase and, and, and uses it in his uh, epistle to the Romans in the section where he talks about their living together. Not being wise in our own eyes. Fearing the Lord. Turning away from evil. Paul picks up those phrases and puts them right into that practical section of the letter to the Romans. And so here I think he's saying to trust our relationships to him. Uh, Go back and think about make your path straight. You know, the difficulty of our paths is often people, isn't it? I remember being asked when I was looking and applying at churches, one church, it may have been Mercy, I can't remember who, but uh, a church asked me, what, what is the thing that you love most about ministry? I said, oh, that's easy, People people. And, and I kind of shared some examples of why that's so. And they said, great. What are some of the things that you li- like least about ministry? And I said, oh, that's easy too. People. People. And I shared some stories about people. Oftentimes, the people are the things that make our paths not straight. Right? But here it says to not be wise in our own eyes, but to fear the Lord, to to make the Lord our first love. I've discovered that unless God is my first love, I really don't do a very good job of loving others well. If God is not the one that fills me, then I will tend to look to other people to do that, and I will use them to that end. And if they cooperate, and fulfill whatever my desires are for that, then they're useful to me. I love them. If they get in the way, I get frustrated. And and I want them out of my way. And relationships tend to fall apart if God is not my first love. This, This idea here is to turning away from evil. To fear God turns us away and keeps us from falling into the evil that comes through Self-reliance, self-conceit, and self-sufficiency. This seemed to be a big teaching for Solomon. He said it again later in the book of Proverbs chapter 16. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. The promise in this passage, and this verse, verse 8, is sort of interesting. Literally, it says this. It will be health to your navel or belly button. It will be health to your belly button and strength to your marrow. And I thought, what on earth is that talking about? Let me tell you a story where this sort of came to mean something to me. It was about four years ago. I won't give you the whole background, but I was driving to the airport in D.C. to pick up a bag that I had forgotten at the airport. See, the forgetfulness thing goes way back. I had left my bag with a laptop in it in the airport in D.C. and driven all the way back almost to Pittsburgh. And so I had to get in my car to drive back to the airport. Well, on the way, I started to feel pretty bad. My stomach was sort of feeling knotted up. I thought, I'll roll the windows down, I'll get over this, and, and I didn't get any better. And, and it was in Virginia, uh, I forget the town that I was in, but it la- maybe Loudon or somewhere along the way. I was in Virginia. I went to a sheets. I thought, I'm going to get out and get gas and get something to drink. Maybe I'll feel better. I got out, and as I stood up, I felt like my entire body sank through the pavement. And I staggered into the sheets and told this clerk, some young guy, I need help. And they apparently dragged me to the back room of the sheets, put my feet up, gave me some water. I had had a full-out panic attack. And that's what this verse is talking about here. What are the two areas of our physical being that are affected when all of the relationships in our lives are not what they ought to be? Is it not our stomachs, our GI? And is it not, and I would describe it this way, I had this sort of feeling of inner trembling. I don't know if you've ever felt that before. I felt like there was so like my body was sort of trembling and I couldn't stop from within. I bet some of you have felt that. The two key symptoms of when we fail to fear the Lord and we become afraid of everything else in our lives. And whether you know it or not, eventually for me, it was four years ago, it catches up to us. As a friend and a counselor told me, he said, your body keeps score. You may not, but your body keeps score and it has decided to call in that score. Isn't that the way it happens to us when we have relationships that are not what they ought to be? Where we use people where life doesn't come easy or straight. I'm going to speed up here. The next point is to submit your blessings to God. Honor Him with your wealth and first fruits. Then your barns will be full of plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Here it's talking about uh, giving. Giving. Out of, out of the goodness that God gives to us, to be giving to other people. I had a friend, everybody in Bulgaria, when you live there, should have a friend who's a mechanic. It's, it, things don't happen the same way in that part of the world is here, and, and, and you have to have someone you trust. And so I had a mechanic friend named Pepe, and Pepe was awesome. I love Pepe because he kept my cars on the road and I could trust him, which wasn't what you could say about most um, people who worked on cars. And so I went with Pepe once to buy a car. I took him along because I wanted his expertise. And we looked at this car, and I was looking at all the, you know, the usual stuff. I'm looking at the amenities, I'm looking at the body, I'm looking at this and that. Pepe just stood at the back of the car on a knee down by the exhaust pipe. And Pepe looked up at me, and I'll never forget, Pepe said, you can tell almost anything you need to know about the engine on a car by the exhaust. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but he certainly did. Uh, he, he became sort of the, the exhaust whisperer for me. And, and he said, You can tell all kinds of things by the exhaust, by what comes out of. And I think the same is true for us. You can tell a lot about the state of our hearts by what comes out of us toward others, if anything at all. But by the generosity of our time and our talents, and our treasures. And if there's very little that comes out of us in those three areas toward the benefit and the blessing of others, something's wrong within. Something's off in that engine, in that heart. Honoring God with our treasures. And he makes these two promises. You will always have plenty. Your barns will be filled with plenty. And you will always have extra the vats will be bursting. God will give uh, to His people as they give of those areas of their lives to others. The best resource I can give you for this would be the Word of God. If you struggle with contentment, spend some time in Philippians 4. If you struggle with commitment to giving, fear that you would not have enough, look at Malachi 3. If you just want a general understanding of what the scriptures speak about stewardship and and generosity and giving, then look at 2 Corinthians 9. Not only do we give the good things and the blessings in our lives to God, we give the sorrows, verses 11 and 12. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. You know, when you you take, I think of the traditional marriage vows, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. The, the 9 and 10 are those good things. That's the better, richer health. And 11 and 12 are the worse, the poorer, and the sickness. And, and it says here um, that we are not to despise those things or become weary of them. Two dangers. Despising would be this hating of it. Of just, of just hating the discipline of the Lord. And when I say discipline, I don't mean just God coming up and whacking us because you did something wrong. I'm talking about where, where God is sort of maybe pressing his thumb upon us and, and seeking to get our attention. And we just sort of hate that. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and my dad would want to talk to me about something. I just, there was a part of me as a son that just welled up and I hated it. I, I was like, stop preaching. I get it. I didn't get it. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted the lesson to end. I, I, and, and so hating it, but then also being weary of it, of devaluing it, of, of just, ah, oh, I can't wait for that to end and be over. And um, those are the two dangers that we, that we would face. Job knew a little bit about suffering under the hand of God, didn't he? In verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 17 of Job, it says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Uh, this is classically Job reminding himself of something that I'm sure he did not feel at the time. He was declaring a truth that he knew, but probably was struggling to grasp and, and hold on to. Hebrews chapter 12 actually exposits this whole concept of talking about the, the, the love of God demonstrated in the discipline of His people. And in, in Hebrews 12, it actually uses a word, a Greek word, to talk about this, and, and the word is gymnasium, or gym, We're sitting in one. Uh, and, it, and it carries the idea of being strengthened through that hardship. Yeah, going to the gym, it's a real popular resolution, isn't it? I need to go to the gym more, so we, you know, come, come to the Y this week, it'll be the busiest week of the year, right? Everybody will shine up, everybody will be here, come in about a month, it'll be back to normal. Um, but the idea being that uh, a little bit of hardship on the body physically is good for it in strengthening it. God knows what's best for us. And so he disciplines us for a manifold number of reasons. Again, it was C.S. Lewis said, if we cry out for less of God's... uh, When we cry out for God to do away with our sufferings, we are actually crying out for less of God's love. We're actually asking God to love us less. So let me close with this. I told you this was not a, a do good, do better sermon. Notice it begins with the phrase, my son, and then verse 11, also again, my son. And that's important. They're just two words, but what they do is they bookend this teaching, this passage, in relationship. In other words, these aren't the things that you do to earn a relationship with God, but rather, these are the marks that characterize the life of a person who is in relationship with God. These are the fruits of that. And if we're honest with ourselves, we fail in all five of these points. I fail to remember the grace of God. I forget it. I I fail to trust Him wholeheartedly. I again and again fall back onto my own understanding. I, I fail to fear Him. And stumble, therefore, into evil, primarily in my relationships. I fail to honor him with my time and my talents and my treasures. I'm afraid, and so I hoard, and I kind of calculate and keep. And I despise his loving discipline. I I just want it to end, or or I don't even want it to happen at all. Isn't that the case? I fail in all these. But here's here's the good news. Jesus Christ was faithful in all of these. Christ alone was the fullness of God's grace and truth. The demonstration of His love and His faithfulness. And Christ alone perfectly did the will of the Father. Trusting Him in all things. Even to the point of death. Death on a cross. And He did it why? The writer of Hebrews chapter 5 says He did it out of reverence, out of the out of right fear of God. He, therefore, was the only one who walked in the midst of that fear and never sinned and never turned to evil. He's the only one who ever honored the Father fully with all of his time, with every moment of his walk on this earth, with all of his talent and gifts, which he lavishly gives to the people of God today, and with all of his treasures. It was in His poverty that we are made rich in things far more valuable than the riches of this world. And it is not also He who accepted the loving discipline of the Father on the cross. The good news of the gospel is that Christ fulfills all these things. These are though the things that God longs also for us, His children seek after in our lives. Will you pray with me? Father, we aim at these things, yes, but, but we recognize that these alone are your work alone in your people. And so where we see them, we praise you. For we know that it is the work of your Spirit uh, weaning us away from ourselves. And where we lack them, Father, may we repent and turn and turn from them, from ourselves. And turn afresh to Christ. As we look to the year ahead, I pray that we would fall deeper and deeper into an understanding of what it means to be your sons and your daughters, to be loved by you, to be delighted in by you. And I pray that our lives would be captured, Lord, that we would, as Paul declared, be compelled to walk in these ways out of gratitude, and out of a desire to see you exalted among the nations. Lord, would you do that this year for us? We ask these things in Christ's name, and for the glory of his name, and for his kingdom. Amen.